Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 25 of The Lawyerist Podcast, a weekly podcast about lawyering and law practice. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and give us a rating in iTunes. So we recently, uh, still pretty recently, published my new guide to computer security, about which Andrew Cavasso of JurisPage says, check out this guide and secure your damn computers. Find out more and get it at lawyerist.com slash guides. Sponsoring today's podcast is Ruby Receptionists. Sign up for a free trial at callruby.com slash lawyerist, and Ruby will answer your phones for free for two weeks. So, Aaron, I found a post on Above the Law today that uh, I really like uh, as a jumping off point to talk about something that lawyers are absolutely terrible at, which is timekeeping. True. And and so, the essentially what's happening is uh, that Steptoe and Johnson has introduced an incentive. Secretaries can receive a weekly bonus of $25 if all the lawyers that they are assigned to get their timesheet entered in for the previous week. So that's potentially 1300 bucks a year. And um, uh, I guess David's angle on this was that the secretaries are all going to get really annoying. Although he also pointed out that the lawyers who assume you, we can assume make considerably more than the secretaries may just give the secretaries the 25 bucks to leave them alone so they can file their motions and get their contracts and negotiations done. Sure. Why? Here's $26 to leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. But but I guess the bigger question is, why are lawyers so bad at timekeeping? This is how we make our money, after all. If you don't turn in your timesheets, then you don't get paid. I think there are two separate issues. So in the big firm context, which is where this what this article is referring to, I think the issue is that lawyers know they're going to get paid. They, this is just an administrative task that they'll get around to eventually, and by the end of the month, they want to make sure their client gets the bill. But on any given day, they've got billable work they want to get done, and if they're not doing that, they want to go network or finally have dinner with their family or whatever, and filling in timesheets just is not that fun. I mean, that makes sense for associates, but a lot of partners are actually directly tied to their receipts. They have an incentive structure that's based on what's collected of their stuff. Maybe maybe it's just, oh, it'll happen eventually. I mean, none of these people are not entering their time. It's just a matter of whether they're getting it in every Thursday at four or not. Yeah, that's probably true. Although, you know, talking to friends and, and uh, people I know at, at firms of all sizes – you know, timekeeping is one of these things that people go back and try and put their time back together weeks or months after the fact. Um, I know lawyers that try to reassemble their time uh, when the case settles uh, <laughs> from the beginning of that matter, which is just ludicrous to me. But but it happens all the time. I, I, I've known lawyers who did that. I had to submit a fee petition once with the lawyer who did that and it makes me really uncomfortable because i don't think your time is probably very accurate at that point right but 
And I think for solo and small firm attorneys, the issue is more that they're stretched thin with marketing and running their firm and also serving clients. And sometimes this isn't a high priority. Obviously, when it's time to pay the bills, you want to have cash in the bank, but right. well, sending out bills is never fun for folks. Well, and reconstructing time, I suppose, is different if you are actually tracking it and the chore is getting it into the system versus if you just aren't even tracking your time and you have to go back and try and reconstruct it slash make it up. <laughs> yeah. So I think the most interesting thing about this is whether we can find a lawyer who starts paying his or her assistant $26 to stop poking. Yeah. I My guess is it'll be uh, a couple of days before that starts happening. <laughs> I'll give you a latte every single day if you just leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this week's guest is Deborah Saavedra, who is a longtime lawyerist writer, and she is going to talk to us about what every lawyer needs to know about Microsoft Office. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast. Hey, Sam. Great to be here. I'm so glad to see you and or hear from you. And uh, why don't you start out by giving us your elevator speech about yourself? Okay. Um, I'm a freelance writer, writer specializing in writing about legal technology. And part of that is that I run a blog called Legal Office Guru, which focuses on how lawyers and legal staff can best use Microsoft Office in a law practice. Um, I started off during college doing litigation support back when the law firm I was working for used like DBase 3 and Bernoulli disks and those Chachung bait stampers to manage those large document productions that they kept in, in bankers' boxes. Um, I spent the next several years working as a legal secretary and later a paralegal. And of course, during that whole time, I was using WordPerfect. And then I got a job working for the home office of a national restaurant chain, and suddenly it was no more WordPerfect. I got thrown into using Microsoft Office and being the sort of weird person who enjoys noodling around with software, I got pretty adept with it. I got so good at it that they eventually transferred me to the IT department to train and support users. And then I spent the next several years around the Y2K freakout traveling around Ohio and Illinois for a consulting firm doing enterprise software installations and training users. So after Y2K was over, I came home and started doing some Word and Outlook training for some of the local law firms, and I was kind of appalled at the skill level I was seeing in Microsoft Office. And that comparatively low skill level really causes a lot of grief and makes people spin their wheels and waste their time that they could otherwise spend being productive and getting work out the door. So when I started blogging in 2009 about using Microsoft Office in a law office context, it really became my mission in life to convince lawyers and their staff that, hey, you've got a great set of tools right there at your fingertips, and it wouldn't take that much more skill for you to really make your law office life a lot easier. I know that we share this frustration with lawyers that they're always looking for a new tool when they have a perfectly good one that does exactly what they want. They just don't know it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's... Like I always say, nine times out of ten when somebody says, oh, Microsoft Word won't do X, I'm able to say, yes, I can. Let me let me show you. Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's just crazy. And I mean, this is I was listening to a, uh, an interview of Brian, Brian Garner on the, the podcast The Moment the other day, which is a great podcast, by the way. But um, and Brian Garner was uh, expressing his frustration that lawyers who are professional writers 
don't actually worry much about their ability to write, uh, it seems like. And I think the same is true with software and tools. Um, Every lawyer in the world uses Microsoft Word or something similar to do their job. It's it's probably the primary tool that we have, mm-hmm. and yet nobody takes any time to learn how to use it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they don't take it seriously as a as a training issue in, mm-hmm. in law firms, I've found. They, they sort of dump people into training whenever there's an upgrade or whenever they change out computers, mm-hmm. and then, you know, expect people to take that eight hours of training and make that last them for the next, you know, five years while the, the computers are busy, you know, working their way off the asset right. list. Well, and you know, and I taught, uh, I taught legal writing in law school for five years and, um, and I insisted on my students creating properly formatted Word documents, like using styles. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, nobody had ever taught them how to do this before. Uh, and, and it, you know, there's all this buzz about law schools teaching students how to use case management software now, which yay, but really a little bit of fundamentals in Microsoft Office could be pretty helpful. Yeah, considering that they use, they spend, you know, at least 80% of their day sitting in front of it, you know. Right. So, so today we're going to talk about uh, the, the, the things that lawyers really, that you wish lawyers knew about Microsoft Office. Yeah. So where do you want to start with that? You know, I'm going to start with the one that I think you probably will agree with the most, and that's styles. I, I absolutely agree with that the most. That... People say that, you know, when, when they use Word, they, oh, I don't really use styles. Yes, you do. <laughs> you, you, you know, you use it just by default. You know, you're using the normal style. And if you use paragraph numbering or any of those other kind of features, you're using the style for that. So it's not a question of whether or not you use that feature. It's whether you use it intelligently. Well, I think part of the reason it. is, I think part of the reason is that Microsoft Word ships with these completely ridiculous default styles. Like nobody yeah. would nobody would ever use those styles in a in a real document. I don't understand right. why they do that. Well, it's like the you know the one post I wrote about, you know, restoring your single spacing. Microsoft mm-hmm. in its infinite wisdom decided that 1.15 should be the default spacing for everything. <laughs> and it's like no, it really doesn't need to be that way. So knowing how to go in and modify those styles and even create new styles that you can use for things like block paragraphs, you know, block quotes in, in briefs and and uh, those kinds of things, to me is one of the most essential things that you can do when you're starting to kind of up your skill level in, in Word. And you don't have to be a ninja just right off the bat. Even if you learn just how to apply the existing styles to text. You can start there and then learn how to modify the styles by right-clicking on them and, and doing some of those things and gradually work yourself into being really adept with them. So here's here's kind of what Deborah's talking about is that when you, um, you know, those styles are up on the ribbon there, right? And they're these, mm-hmm. it's like purple headings and pink block quotes or something are the ones that it ships with by default because... I don't even know why, yeah, but, yeah. um, but those are actually, you know, let's say you want to, um, your headings in a brief, you, you obviously don't want them to be purple, but, um, you could change them to look the way you want them to be. And then you highlight that line and right click and say, update style to match selection. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. all of your headings, your heading one or your heading twos will look the exact same throughout the document. 
Yeah, and then when it comes ch- time to maybe change uh, something in that particular, say, a brief, I, I always use like, use that as a as an example. If you decide that your level three heading needs to be italicized for whatever reason, you don't have to go all the way through the brief and find all those headings. You just modify the style, and everything updates. And one of the things I like about using styles is. Um, you can you can automatically number those headings, mm-hmm. and I know that automatic numbering frustrates the heck out of people. But mm-hmm. when you get the hang of it, it's actually really good and easy. Um, yeah, and you can do things like uh, you know first cause of action, or you know when you actually spell them out. If you know how to use those numberings and and modify those uh, uh, those types so that they spell out first instead of one or something, then it becomes really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you inevitably decide to add, you know, negligent interference with tortious conduct that I'm just making up and makes no sense, um, <laughs> in the middle of your causes of action, you can add it, and it'll have the right number on it, and everything below it will have the right number on it. Um, I like it for, uh, I also like um, using uh, custom numbered paragraphs for discovery responses mm-hmm. um, or requests, because, you know, you can do numbering that says, interrogatory one colon and then type it out so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's pretty helpful yeah absolutely absolutely what's the i mean what's the number one reason that lawyers ought to use styles for you uh let's see i you know i think the ability to to update large amounts of of text in a single click or you know two or three clicks to me is it's just the biggest thing. If you if you're having to go through an entire document and decide you want to change the spacing on your on your paragraphs or something like that, it, to me it's just it's just a waste of time to have to go through and do that over and over and over again. But if you've applied styles intelligently, you update that one style and your whole document has changed. Well, and I I suppose the way I watch most lawyers construct word documents is all of the spacing is done with tabs and returns. Yes. And Part of what using styles is you use all of your spacing as part of the document. So mm-hmm. you set, you know, after a heading, I want there to be 24 points of white space mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just using a return and calling it good enough because it's not good. That's not the right spacing. No. And then when you when you do it that way, you lose the ability to have that heading attached to the following paragraph mm-hmm. and you don't you uh, you don't have that break between pages, for example, whenever you start editing the document. Right. And and headings should be slightly larger than the body text. And, right. And so, um, if you've ever read, uh, or, or, or if you haven't read Matthew Butterick's typography for lawyers, you should absolutely get a copy of it and use it with the same authority that you would use the blue book uh, for citation. Um, that that book is full of great wisdom on how to format documents, including legal documents. But Butterick is a lawyer, so he knows, and he is also a typographer who has, I believe, three fonts to his credit now. And um, and so it's well worth looking in there for best formatting practices for legal briefs. So, all right, so what's the second thing? Well, speaking about legal briefs, uh, my next one is quick parts. And I've written about this fairly extensively on Lawyerist, and I I can't stop lawyers from recycling old documents. I I understand why people do it, but I think it's sometimes a a very dangerous practice. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes it's much better to take those most used text snippets and actually save them to quick parts. And then the next time 
you need to use it, you can actually just go to the insert menu, click quick parts, and drop it into your text as either unformatted or, or, or formatted. Uh, an example is, say, like a certificate of service, a notary acknowledgement, uh, an address that you use commonly, uh, those kinds of things. The next time you run across that information, just select it with a mouse, go to the insert tab, and about three quarters of the way to the right, you'll see quick parts. And if you click on that and go down to save selection to quick parts, then you can save that. And there's a couple of cool things in that, in that dialog box. Number one, you can make your own categories to sort them. And I generally take the most common ones that I have and use at the at symbol and my initials to make sure that category sorts above all the built-in ones. And then you can change the gallery from the default quick parts to something like footer or header or watermark. So you can save custom footers, for example, like if you want to have uh, the document name on the left and page X, Y in the center, you can, you can make that footer in a blank document and then save that to quick parts in the footer gallery. And then the next time you need it, you can just simply drop it into any document using insert footer. Huh. So, so I use... Um I use Text Expander and I've used Auto Hotkey, which are also sort of sound similar. But I'm guessing the the advantage to Quick Steps is that you can use all of the formatting stuff from Word, so that you're inserting things, and you can probably insert things into specific parts of documents, right? That are yes. rather than just a clump of text. Right, right. Uh, I use sort of a combination of of using autocorrect as you type if there is a particular uh, phrases that I use commonly. Uh, because if you're particularly a keyboard person, uh, the auto the auto expander uh, tends to use work a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But if there's large blocks of text and you want to preserve some of the formatting, quick parts tends to be really useful for that. So, what are some of the quick parts that you advise people to use, or some of the first ones that you add to Word when you're when you're formatting things? I, the, the footer one that I gave as an example just a moment ago is is one that I do a lot uh, where I put the document name on the left and maybe page X of Y in the center. And sometimes I have a, another footer that adds the last save date mm-hmm. uh, to the right-hand side. So if it's a draft, we keep up with uh, what version of the draft we're looking at. Uh, I do – I save a lot of litigation-type things like certificates of service, uh, uh, certain types of uh, – interrogatory and, and other discovery uh, text and, and formatting, uh, notary acknowledgments, uh, the different kinds of those, and signature blocks are a good choice. Hmm. I mean, because let's, let's be clear, you could actually put your, your default um, interrogatories in there, right? You could. You could. You could absolutely do that and then put those in a separate category so that they're all sitting together in the list whenever you go back to look for them. And it basically just becomes your... Um, uh, a way of automating your documents, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's sort of the, the the way to automate documents, or at least kind of a beginner's way to automate documents without spending any more money. Yeah, and and pretty easy because it's pretty quick to create a quick part. Right. Okay. So, all right. So we've got styles in Word and quick parts in Word, and those are in Outlook too, right? Uh, yes, you can do quick parts in Outlook as well. So, uh, what's next? Next. Uh, one thing that I've really recently fallen in love with in Outlook is Quick Steps. It's, you think of it sort of like a macro for Outlook. Uh, if there's a string of actions you take in Outlook repeatedly, like forwarding emails to an assistant with a, a handle it note or 
and, and filing the original of it in a subfolder mm-hmm. or addressing and pre-filling emails that you send a lot or moving emails to folders or whatever, you can probably reduce it to a single click using Quick Steps. Uh, that's shown in Outlook on the Home tab, just kind of toward the center, there's a little area that says Quick Steps, and they deliver a few example ones uh, with the product, but you can actually make your own. And it's just a dialog box where you can drop down, say, start new email, and then you can just follow along in the dialog box and you can actually address the email to CC, BCC, put the subject line, uh, put any text in it. Uh, that's just an example of one that you can do, but it's a, a very easy dialog box to kind of work your way through. And yeah, and you've got a great post about this one on Lawyerist. I think we've got posts for almost all these on Lawyerist, and so I'll be including those in the show notes. But um, but this one in particular is basically just like, you know, ha- you can you can sort half your emails before you even see them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, you can even select, you know, a group of emails and then click that one quick step if you've got it designed to move it to a particular folder or to even move it to your document management system and mm-hmm. just one click and you've done it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I, and I think, uh, you know, if for Gmail users, uh, who, whether using it personally or not, there are some similar things, but nothing near this powerful. This is where I think, you know, people get up on a horse about how awful Outlook is, which is something I've never agreed with. But, um, but when it comes to doing some amazing things, this is, you can do some pretty sophisticated stuff in Outlook and Quick Steps is one of the, one of the ways to do it, which is a lot easier than it, than it looks. So, um, give that a shot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what's next? Keyboard shortcuts, right? Keyboard shortcuts. I'm a big fan of keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. The more of those you can kind of commit to memory or have really handy, the better, because if you want to keep your hands on the keyboard and off the mouse, it really pays to learn as many shortcut keys as you can. Most people really already know Control-B for bold and Control-I for italics and Control-U for underline, et cetera. But there's a lot more of those that are available in Word, and you can actually make some of your own. Uh, If you want to get a list of what short keys are already installed in Word on your computer, there's a macro called List Commands. It'll actually ask you whether you want to see a a list of all the word commands or just the ones assigned to the keyboard. And if you run the latter, you'll get a new Word document that shows you all the current commands that have hotkeys assigned to it. Really? Where, Where do I find that? If you, this is a little tricky. If you go into Word, there's one tab that is not enabled by default, and it's called the Developer tab. Mm-hmm. If, if you go to the File tab and click Options, I'm going to go along with you here. Go to the File tab, click Options, and along the side it says Customize Ribbon. Mm-hmm. And over on the right-hand side of that dialog box, you'll see down that list something called Developer. Gotcha, and that's how you turn it on. Yeah, so you turn that on, and that enables you to run any macro. Because once you go to the Developer tab, you go over to the left and click Macros. And it'll show you what all your keyboard shortcuts are? It, it will It will give you the, the macro dialog box, and you can type List Commands. It's capital L-I-S-T and then capital C-O-M-M-A-N-D-S. And then click Run, and that'll start that macro that'll show you all of those uh, keyboard shortcuts. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so, uh, so what are some of the keyboard shortcuts that you think everybody ought to know? 
you know, there are three that, particularly if you have a lot of formatting issues, that I think everybody ought to write on a post-it note and stick to the side of their monitor. The first one is control space, which basically means holding down the controls key and pressing space. That removes all of the character level formatting. Uh, you know, funky fonts, underlining, boldface, italics, whatever. You just select the text you want to fix with your mouse or with your keyboard, then hold down the control key and press the space bar. Control Q hmm. does the same thing with paragraph level formatting. Weird and dense, line spacing, extra spacing before and after the paragraphs, etc. And again, you just select the text with your mouse or your keyboard and then hold down the control key and press the letter Q. Now, Control-Shift-N is basically the what I call the nuke command because it takes the, the selected text and returns it to normal formatting, however normal is defined in your particular document styles. Uh, you'll need a little bit more manual dexterity here. You'll have to hold down the Control and the Shift keys and then press the letter N for normal. And, okay, so th that's pretty powerful. Those are, if people don't know, character-level formatting is what it sounds like it's there are styles basically that apply to just the character um then and then there's and what you apply to the character is really just you know you can uh you can make it bold italics there there are other things you can you can change the size but um but then paragraph level formatting is the spacing between lines and the spacing between paragraphs and stuff like that and those are separate things that are handled differently mm -hmm. although it, in word it's pretty transparent it's pretty behind the scenes you don't um, there's, it's not, you can't be like specifically selecting character versus paragraph formatting unless you really dig into the styles and do it. Um, I've used my, uh, Apple pages a bit and there the distinction is a little bit more clear, uh, between the two. Um, it's maybe a little clunkier too, but, um, but that was where I finally started appreciating the difference between character and paragraph level formatting, um, which is an important thing to know. Those are, those are different pieces of the same document. Right, right. Uh, so, so Control Shift N is the one to use when you hate you've pasted something in and you hate the way it looks and you can't seem to fix it and you just need to sort of nuke it and put it back to default. Exactly, exactly. Just it's the fastest way to just get it back to something you can at least start working with. Is that the same as using the clear formatting button? I think it is. I think it's basically the same effect. Okay. And I maybe you can answer this. I've found that I sometimes need to hit the clear formatting button more than once to get it to finally clear all the formatting. I, I've seen that too, and I'm not sure what the, what the deal is with that. Hmm. Well, there you go. There's a tip if you get stuck, folks. <laughs> keep keep hitting the button two or three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't 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 mess with it very much. You know, just right. just clear it out and let it go. Um, all right, so we've got styles, quick parts, quick steps, keyboard shortcuts, and I, I'm a big fan of keyboard shortcuts just because I find that picking up my hand to use the mouse or the trackpad all the time is kind of you know kind of inefficient and and annoying. So I I try to learn as many of those as I can, but I was not aware of any of those. So that's awesome. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna use them from now on. What's yeah. the What's our last thing? Our last thing is is uh, changing the interface, and we got into this a little bit just a moment ago when we were talking about uh, enabling the uh, developer tab. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep the commands that you use the most often really accessible, people don't really realize that you can actually change the interface to some extent in any of the Microsoft Office applications. Mm -hmm. You can add things to the ribbon. You can add things to the uh, the quick bar up at the top, the quick toolbar. Mm -hmm. uh, let me talk about the 
the quick toolbar, the quick access toolbar real quickly. Uh, across the top, by default, Word and the rest of them will usually have like two or three little buttons at the top. It's usually like new document, uh, close document, save document, that kind of thing. If you click the down arrow at the right-hand end of that, you'll get a menu that says Customize Quick Access Toolbar, and you can add a bunch of things to that that you use frequently, like Save As or, or something like that. But if you scroll down a little bit more, you'll see More Commands. And you can actually go and add anything, any command within Word to that Quick Access Toolbar. Hmm. So what sorts of things might I want to put up there? I've actually got, let me just go through, I've actually got some things like uh, the reveal formatting uh, pane, which puts up a pane on the the right-hand side of the document where I can examine the formatting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got multiple print buttons. Uh, The print preview, I I don't remember if that's one of the defaults or not. You can actually program macros and then add those to the quick access toolbar as well. I've got uh, a couple of macros for like formatting an envelope or something like that. Hmm. But yeah, anything that you use pretty frequently, you can add to that quick access toolbar. Uh, You can also, going back to that file options, customize ribbon. Mm Mm-hmm. You can add commands to the existing ribbon or add your own tab, your own personal tab to that ribbon. And anything that you use on a pretty frequent basis, you can keep in a tab where you can get to it in one or two clicks. You know, it's interesting. I The more we talk about Word, the more I, I realize that most lawyers use Word as just a text editor. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, most people use Word as just a text editor without much on it. But what I'm realizing is, um, I've done a little bit of software uh, coding, and um, and I've used some s- software development uh, interfaces or uh, environments, uh, often called IDEs, an integrated development environment, and that's where you're you're building the the program that you're working on. And what I'm realizing, listening to you, is that Word is really an IDE for documents, mm-hmm. um, exactly. and and you can you can customize Word itself so that it functions in exactly the way you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And what you're really doing is not just writing documents, you are building documents. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you actually do build documents, it is so much more efficient and you can make much bigger and more beautiful documents. It's, I guess it's kind of the difference between trying to build a, an art museum out of Legos <laughs> yeah. versus uh, doing it properly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and when you really understand how to use it properly, then you can just do so much more with it. Yeah, it's not just about what it looks like when it's printed out. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about how the document actually functions. Uh, kind of going back to styles, for example, one of the big arguments I make for using styles is that it enables you to create a table of, of contents very, very easily. Right. And it also enables you to scroll or, or navigate your way through the document. If you turn on the navigation pane and you've got styles, particularly heading styles, that you're using in the document, you can navigate through that document very, very quickly without just having to scroll page after page after page. So it's about making the document work better as opposed to simply looking better. Yeah, and and at, like you just mentioned, having having that um, uh, the the outline view of a document when you're working on a really big thing, whether it's a big contract or a brief or whatever, uh, uh, you know, partnership agreement. 
Um, being able to fly through the document by knowing that you can just click on a heading and get to that section is huge. And, and once you're using them well, you can totally do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, I, I took Casey Flaherty's legal tech audit. Mm-hmm. And, I remember. Yeah, and the, the word portion of that is basically a giant contract. Um, oh. You know, it's it's. I don't remember how long the contract is, but it's really long. And and we haven't talked about fields, but um, but his, the thrust of it was, you know, look, if I want to insert a provision in this thirty-page document, I need all of the section references to update, right? Yeah. Because you'll have like, you know, the the definition of this in in section one point one five. Well, as soon as you insert something in between. 1.15 and the reference now all of that stuff has to change mm-hmm. uh, or or if you insert it before 1.15 it all has to change and, and so that's what he was saying is like if, if he's hiring a lawyer to build him a contract he needs it to be more flexible than that and he needs it to update all of those numbers perfectly uh, without doing it manually because what a waste of time yeah because you could spend a huge amount of time and still miss something if mm-hmm. you're going through it manually and you know you you have to have the flexibility to add provisions and renegotiate those documents on the fly, and you can't t- you can't send it all back to your lawyer every time. Or if you're the lawyer, and even you just don't want to waste time and bill your client for all that wasted time. So, uh, so building doc think about documents as things that you need to build. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's much more like the document itself is part of part of what you're putting together and the better you build them the easier it will be to build the next one that you base off of it or or the happier your clients are going to be if you're delivering word documents to them so right right so what's the you said there was a bonus what's the bonus there's a bonus uh to me one of the things that people really don't understand about microsoft office is that if you can't make word or outlook or any other office application do something the way you need it to there's probably some developer somewhere who's figured out how to make that happen. Uh, if you get out on the lab or, or, or get out on answers.microsoft.com and, and ask around and say, hey, can, is it possible to do this or this? And they say, no, really not as delivered. Then get out on Google and search for word plugin and then feature, you know, just describe the feature. You'd be surprised how many of these plugins actually are out there. In particular, you know, you mentioned paragraph numbering, which I don't know anybody that really likes the delivered paragraph numbering. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly confusing. I could probably name six or seven different developers that have have developed a better interface for that. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of these things have free trial periods, so you can download it, install it, test it out, kind of see how it works. But if there's just something that you need for Microsoft Office to do and you can't find a feature that actually does that, chances are somebody has figured out a way to do it. I, that's true. I mean, this is Microsoft Office is one of the most popular software packages in the world. So there are a ton of people that are developing stuff for it. The, uh, the one caution I would have is that... Um, the more plugins you have, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, um, the harder it is to upgrade. Yes, yes. Uh, and because you have to wait for them to you know, comply with the new version of Microsoft Office before you upgrade. Mm-hmm. And the more possibility there is for them to clash with one another. Sure, and I, and I suppose this just occurred to me, but now that Microsoft Office has its online uh, versions, the plugins don't carry over to those, so... You may or that may mean that you can't use those quite the same as you want to. 
Yeah, and um, I've not heard how many developers are really trying to do anything with like 365 or whatnot to yeah. to do that. I haven't heard, but uh, so um, it's it, this, I'm not trying to scare people away from plugins, but I kind of you know in the same way that we do with our website, I try to limit the amount of plugins to those that we actually need, and I try to avoid using plugins just because they're neat or cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's if it's a feature that you really need, it will really make your life a lot easier. Then certainly you know go for it, but it. You know, like you said, the nice to have and the cool things probably let those go. Well, and and then there are some for Outlook, for example, that um, you know, uh, there's there's one uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's uh, it's basically a case management software that runs it in Outlook. Um, and then there's another one, a couple of others that I've seen for Outlook, which. Uh, Every time you get an email from somebody, it'll pop up their LinkedIn profile. It'll talk, tell you how frequently you communicate with that person and make it easy to access all of your previous conversations with that person. It'll you know, pop up their contact record in case you want to call them back. And there's some really, really neat plugins, I think, for, um, for Outlook that are very helpful when it comes to um, both finding out previous conversations with people for whether it's for litigation or negotiation purposes or just networking. And um, uh, I think that's pretty neat because the best way to have that place to have that information is in your email software, which is where you're communicating with people. So, right. um, so definitely look out. I think that's great advice. Check out what else is out there for plugins. Any, anything, uh, any last bits of wisdom that you want to leave us with? You know, the one thing that I like to, to tell uh, lawyers and law staff is you, you don't have to become a ninja overnight in this. If you can add a couple of skills every so often and, and learn a little something new, you know, start with styles and and maybe work your way over to some other things, you can gradually increase your skill level and reduce your frustration level within the space of a year to an extent that you wouldn't have believed possible. Well, and so we're going to include your posts about this in the show notes, but um, but I, I frequently get asked, you know, where do people go to get training on this? Well, there's, uh, well, there, I mean, there's obviously the the post that we do on lawyers. I mean, we it's specifically geared to to what happens in a law office. And you have some training materials, don't you? I do, I do. Obviously, I have my my blog, uh, legalofficeguru.com. dot uh, com. I am working on developing some training uh, in particularly with quick parts and some of those uh, ideas. And I've also got a course called the Word Perfect Lover's Guide to Word, which starts on a very, very basic level uh, geared to someone who is just starting off with Word, even starting off with how to navigate the interface and uh, how to how to you know do some very basic things with documents and then working all the way through printing envelopes and labels and whatnot. And you know, I guess part of it is this stuff is not really rocket science. You just have to dig in and try it. And, and it is a matter of just simply getting in there, like you said, digging in and trying it and trying to focus on the things that will save you little bits of time on the things that you do repeatedly every single day. That seems like a really good place to end. Deborah, thank you so much for being with us today. All right. Thanks so much. This episode of the Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answered the phones for my law practice for a couple of years. And here's the thing. When I was answering the phone, I was often distracted. I might be in the middle of reading a brief that pissed me off from opposing counsel uh, or dealing with something stressful or that I really needed to focus on. 
And so the phone rings, it's an interruption, kind of drives me crazy, and I'm never at my best. That's not the face I wanted to put forward to clients. So when I got Ruby, the whole thing changed for two reasons. First, because uh, the ladies at Ruby are fantastic on the phone. They're cheerful, they're friendly, they're helpful. And what happened is that people would regularly say, wow, I just had such a great experience with your receptionist. And second, because my instructions were that anybody who asked for me by name should be put straight through to me. The way that happens is it's a soft transfer, meaning the first person I hear from is a receptionist from Ruby who says, hi, this is so-and-so from Ruby Receptionists. I've got so-and-so on the phone and they're calling about this. Should I put them through? And so I have the opportunity to say, no, tell them to call this person, tell them I'll call them back later, please take a message, or sure, put them through and I'll talk to them. And just that little bit of buffer meant that by the time I got on the phone, I was prepared for the conversation and I could be in a much better mood. Hiring somebody to pick up my phones and answer my phones for me that is as friendly and professional and helpful as Ruby was one of the best things I did for my practice and for my sanity and productivity. So you should check out Ruby, and you've got no reason not to because it's free for 14 days. And if you check them out by going to callruby.com slash lawyerist, they will also waive the setup fee should you decide to stick with them. And if you sign up for the trial, they will take good care of you, and I'm pretty sure you will want to hire them in the end. So go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and find out for yourself. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.